rise and shine Africa Zora Africa amka na unai Good morning and welcome to Africa Rise and Shine. This is Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance, coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. We are on the frequency 6145 kHz on the 41-meter band to Southern Africa and on 15255 kHz on the 19-meter band to Far West Africa. I'm Lulu Gabu in studio with Anne Musa, Tabiso Luhoko and Figile Lingwati. In our top stories... Tanzania's ruling party extends its lead as vote counting continues. A DRC government urged to increase protection for students and BRICS University summit gets underway in Moscow. In economics, South Africa remains one of the top-ranked economies in Africa and in sports news. Former Nigerian international fails in his bid to stand in the FIFA presidential elections. But first up, the news with Anne Musa. A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Musa. Ivory Coast's incumbent Alassane Ouattara has won a second five-year term in office. The Electoral Commission says Ouattara garnered 83% of the vote. Opposition candidate Pascal Afihingesan got 9%. The vote was judged to be peaceful and transparent by observers. The presidential vote was the first since the 2010 contest in which Ouattara defeated then-President Lohong Bagbo, whose refusal to step aside sparked months of violence that killed thousands. Congolese opposition leaders have called for a civil disobedience campaign to pressure the government into retracting a planned constitutional amendment. The change will enable President Denis Sassou to extend his three-decade rule. The government announced a landslide 92.96% of people approved changes to the constitution, allowing Sassou to run for a third term next year. The government also said turnout stood at 72.44%, despite opposition calls for a boycott. With Tanzania's Electoral Commission just days away from declaring a winner in the presidential elections, the country's constitution and electoral laws have come under scrutiny. African observer groups say Sunday's elections were largely free, fair and credible. Ruling party candidate John Makafuli is leading in a tight race against opposition coalition candidate Edward Luasa, as the Electoral Commission explains, concerns about the electoral law comes as no surprise. NEC Chairperson Damien Lubuva. We have no alternative. We have been handicapped. And that these, these are the only equipment we had in these two centres and they have been taken away by the police. They have been extremely unfair. 
extremely unfair. At least 12 people have been killed after a helicopter carrying the commanders of the Tripoli-based government was shot down by rival militants. The helicopter was reportedly returning to the capital when it was hit by anti-aircraft fire and crashed into the sea near Almaya. The helicopter was transporting 23 people. Libya is caught in a conflict involving two rival governments based respectively in Tripoli and in the east. And finally, the United Nations has condemned airstrikes by the Saudi-led coalition in Yemen, which hit a hospital and injured several people in Sadar Governorate on Monday. The Hayadeen Medical Hospital was run by Doctors Without Borders, with support from the UN Children's Agency, UNICEF, and the World Health Organization. UN Secretary General Ban Ki-moon has called for a prompt and impartial investigation into the incident. That's the news headlines at 8.30 Central African Time. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Thank you, and it is exactly 8.05 Central African time, and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine, coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa on the frequencies 6145 kHz on the 41-meter band to Southern Africa and on 15255 kHz on the 19-meter band to Far West Africa. It is Wednesday, October the 28th, the 301st day of 2015, with 64 days left in the year. As Tanzania's election results... Announcement enters its third day. The ruling party has extended its lead. In elections held on Sunday, John Magufuli is contesting against opposition coalition candidate Edward Lowassa in a heated election. Despite reports of simmering tensions, police say the country remains calm. Shingai Noka reports from Dar es Salaam. Dr. Magufuli John Pombe Joseph. With every result announced so far, the ruling party's presidential candidate has increased his lead. The latest tally shows a gap of about 400,000 votes with the main opposition candidate. 120 constituencies have been announced so far, but with 144 to go, the picture could change. The opposition has accused police of raiding its tally centers, arresting its volunteers and hamstringing its independent results verification. Police say it's not true. Police Commissioner for Community Policing, Musa Al Musa. The whole country is under control there until now. We don't have any critical incidents happen somewhere yeah we are forced to use tear gas but not because of election we have arrested some of the people but uh, they are not have no connection with uh, political issues you know this is a town the opposition is criticizing the process it says the late arrival of polling material in some areas and voters not being on the roll in others marred the process Commission for the Chair, retired Justice Damien Lubuva, admits the process was not perfect, but says it was satisfactory. Well, issues will always be there with regard to elections. You cannot carry out the election in such a way that you satisfy everybody. Observers agree. Sadiq has endorsed the election as free, fair and credible. But all observers say the electoral laws need to be tweaked if the process is to be more transparent. Justice Damien Lubuva responds. 
I, I wouldn't be surprised to see many of the observers making the point that, well, maybe you should change the law to, to make it possible for people to challenge the, the, the results pertaining to the president. This is because, as far as the law stands, the Constitution, uh, well, once we make the announcement here, that's the Electoral Commission, nobody can challenge that in the court. Meanwhile, the United Kingdom's Foreign Office has issued a travel advisory in Zanzibar, a traditional flashpoint during elections. It warns its citizens to avoid being out on the streets because of the prospects of post-election riots. The National Electoral Commission says presidential results are likely to be out by Thursday. This is one of Africa's most stable democracies, works to restore peace and unity after a bruising election. I'm Shingai Nyoka in Dar es Salaam. International and regional poll observers have called for more openness and inclusivity even as they commended Tanzania's electoral process so far. While they, the Southern African Development Community, SADC, and the East African Community, EAC, said the elections were free, fair, transparent and credible, the African Union and the Commonwealth Observer Mission said the process thus far has been satisfactory. Sarah Kimani reports. Two days after Tanzania went to the polls to elect the country's fifth president, as well as members of parliament and representatives to the local authorities, international and regional observers gave their preliminary findings. The Southern African Development Community, SADC, giving a bold finding. Aldemiro Baloi is Mozambique's foreign affairs minister. He was also the head of the SADC observer mission. Based on these uh, observations, the SADC electoral observation mission concludes that 2015 general elections in the United Republic of Tanzania were free, fair, transparent, credible, and peaceful, and thus reflecting the will of the people of the country. SADC's observations were similar to those of regional grouping the East African Community, EAC. Kenya's former Vice President, Moody Awori, is the chairman of the East African Community's Observer Mission. Conclusion. The East African Community Election Observer Commission of Tanzania notes that thus far the polling and and counting process has been peaceful and transparent. The African Union and the Commonwealth Observer Missions remained guarded. Former Mozambican President Amando Guebuza headed the African Union Observer Mission. The African Union Mission is aware that as we release this statement, the final tolling of votes is yet to conclude and the, the election results announced. The African Union Mission notes that uh, the general election was conducted in accordance with the laws of the United Republic of Tanzania, the African Union, regional and other international instruments for the conduct of democratic elections. The African Union mission encourages the people of the United Republic of Tanzania to continue to conduct themselves peacefully until the end of the process. While former Nigerian President Goodluck Jonathan headed the Commonwealth Observer Mission. We are finished, we are quite pleased with the first phase of the electoral process, that is the pre-election campaigns, registration of voters and so on. Yes, they are quite credible. We are waiting for the last phase the processing, the tallying and processing of these various unit results. Because you have to tally the results from the units, we observe the units, to the wards and to the constituencies.
then of course the presidential. So until we get that, we cannot make any categorical statement. But that does not mean that we disagree with the position of uh, SADC. All observer missions raise concern with the issues of transparency surrounding the country's electoral laws. Aldemiro Baloi representing SADC. In order to further improve the quality of the electoral process in the United Republic of Tanzania, the CEO makes the following recommendations. One, amendment of of section 41, paragraph 7 of the Constitution to allow the leader recourse once presidential results have been announced. Two, to address reported challenges on the use of BVR system. Three, review the process of appointing the NEC and ZEC executives. Four, political parties to engage effectively with their supporters during voter education. Under Tanzania's current laws, the decision of the Electoral Commission on the presidential winner is final, and losing candidates cannot move to court to challenge poll outcomes. The National Electoral Commission officials and Zanzibar Electoral Commission officials are appointed by the president, and opposition parties have raised concern over the commission's independence and impartiality. The observer missions will issue full reports three to six months after the final poll results. The final poll results are expected on Thursday this week. Sarah Kimani, Dar es Salaam, Tanzania. The BRICS Global University Summit is underway in Moscow, Russia. It unites more than 400 representatives from leading universities of BRICS countries, including South Africa. Julia Lyubova has the details. Ministers and rectors of leading institutions of the BRICS bloc have gathered in Moscow to discuss global education. Over the next two days, they will report on education in their countries. South Africa has seen recent student protests against rising tuition fees, and this has posed a dilemma for the country's education system. Angina Parekh, Deputy Vice-Chancellor of the University of Johannesburg, is in Moscow. The bigger issue is about access to higher education and uh, affordability. And for the vast majority of of, uh, students who come from very impoverished, low-income. University education is unaffordable. It's something that uh, universities, as well as the government, as well as student organizations, and the broader private sector will have to come together and start talking. The new BRICS Network University, which is up for discussion at the forum in Moscow, would offer opportunities for member states to draw experiences from one another. Dr. Olive Shizana, president of the evidence-based solutions firm, agrees. Coming into a global university summit tells us a lot more about what's happening in other places, how people are handling the whole issue of education. We are aware of the protests that are going on in South Africa right now because people do want free education. And by talking to other people, we're able to understand how they managed to get free education in their country. Each BRICS member will be able to discuss the most pressing issues concerning education in their countries and ways education could be made more affordable and effective. This is the first time that an educational BRICS forum brings together so many universities, 18 from Brazil, 17 from India, 13 Chinese and 8 South African universities. The host, Russia, is represented by 69 universities. Judah Lubova, Moscow. This is Channel Africa, South Africa's official international public radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite.
My name is Sipa Hot Sticks Mabuse, a South African musician and an African artist for that matter. You are listening to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Pambi. My name is Yvonne Chaka Chaka from South Africa, but Africa is my home. You're listening to Channel Africa. The voice of the African Renaissance. My name is Habida, an African artist from Kenya, and you're listening to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorka. Africa, Amuka na Unai. South African students who attended Parliament's debate on higher education transformation have expressed disappointment at both the content and the conduct of all political parties who took part in the debate. They have accused MPs of grandstanding and attempting to score political points instead of finding solutions to funding challenges of the higher education. Lama Matya reports from Parliament. The students who attended the debate on higher education transformation launched a scathing attack on all political parties who took part in the debate. They have accused the members of parliament of politicizing the funding challenges of tertiary education. Keke Make of CPUT explains. I thought we were here to debate on how we come to the solution that is the national crisis at the moment. More than anything, from what I get, it's an opportunity to score political points. Everyone is blaming that one and that one. And at the end of the day, um, from what personally I've gathered is that as students, we we are really on our own. Others say the fact that there is no political party which is prepared to acknowledge and take responsibility means that there's still a long way to go towards resolving these challenges. Student Aviwe Gwaii also quite disappointing from both the ruling party and from oppositions. Um, oppositions in the sense that they are just uh, point pointing out problems after problems after problems, uh, having rhetorics, having these nice words, trying to sympathize and gain the emotions of students. And as opposed to, as well, the ruling party, whereas they're also being very defensive as well. As well. Because what we as students we did, we came together as SASCO, as BASMA, as EFF Student Command. We came together even um, with, with student structures which are on campus. Higher Education and Training Minister Blade Nzimande has promised that the details of the 2.6 billion rent shortfall to cater for the no-fee increases for next year will be made available on Thursday. But despite this, Mbuziso and Choko Choko reckons that the debate was a waste of time. We came here expecting a solution from these people. But what is happening inside, it's like they are fighting against each other. They are trying to prove a point from each other, as in politics or whatever the case may be. And this is not what we are here for. We are here to see a way forward for us as the students on how are we going to get the free education. As we are talking now, some students are vandalizing. They are doing whatever the case may be because of the frustration which is happening. And looking at the situation inside, it doesn't look, it doesn't look as if strike is going to end. We're not going to stop strike. 
striking until these people take us serious. The students who watched the debate from the gallery said MPs should have shown a united front during the debate. Luto Huneli from CPUT has warned MPs not to use them for scoring points ahead of next year's local government elections. I'm very disappointed, I can say, because uh, when, when, when we as students decided to unite, regardless of the organization we're coming from, when we came to the debate, we expected the same from people who are leading this country. What you find that people are grandstanding, trying to outshine others and outshine to make your organization seem as like, like popular lyricity contest that is happening inside. I'm, I'm, I'm very disappointed. I'm very disappointed. Another student, Kuhle Makosa, says the debate did not live up to her expectations. No, I'm not happy. I didn't expect to see this. I mean, we are not happy with the zero percent increase just alone. We also wanted free education, and from what we heard from CBUT, they are saying that uh, they are going to hang our debts for 2015, 2014, and 2013 because students are going to not be able to register for the following year. So I am so not happy. I am disappointed because it's like they are treating us as a joke. And that was Gutle Makosi, a university student, ending that report by Lula Mamakia in Cape Town. It is 8.21 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa on the frequency 6145 kHz on the 41-metre band to Southern Africa and on 15255 kHz on the 19-metre band to Far West Africa. Africa Rise and Shine Africa Zorka Africa Amuka Na Unai South Africa's unemployment rate has risen to 25.5% for the third quarter of the year, from 25% in the previous period. Statistics South Africa says this amounts to 5.4 million people without work in the formal labor sector. The number of unemployed people increased by almost 190,000 in the third quarter compared to the second quarter. For more on this, we are now joined on the line by Gifilwe Masiteng, Deputy Director General of Population and Social Statistics at Stats South Africa. Good morning, Gifilwe, and welcome to Africa Rise and Shine. Good morning, Lillian. Thank you for inviting us to the show. Now, Gifilwe, briefly elaborate on these findings. We've seen such an increase in terms of permanent or part-time jobs. Yes. Um, in the third quarter, what we have seen is that uh, firstly, the labor force, which is the people who would be either employed or not employed, has increased by about 359,000. And this is also attributable to the fact that there were about 188,000 that got into unemployment and about 121,000 that got into employment. But added to that is that the level of inactivity has decreased by about 200,000. Then we ended up with about 5.4 million people that are said to be entirely unemployed, and that has contributed to the current 25.5% as a rate of unemployment, which is an increase of about 0.5 percentage points from our previous quarter. 
Now, Kefilwe, which sector um, saw the largest share of uh, employment and unemployment in the last quarter? In the last quarter, the largest um, gains have been seen in the industries of trade that has gained 81,000 jobs, which is mainly retail trade and sales, as well as maintenance of vehicles. Secondly, 59,000 jobs were created in construction, which is mainly about building of infrastructure and structures as as well as building installations. The third uh, industry that has seen gains is services that went up by 34,000, which also includes uh, government and publication administration. The largest decline was observed in transport that lost about... 24,000, while utilities also lost about 9,000. But the jobs in mining have remained uh, stable at about 446,000 in the second and the third quarter. Now, Kifilo, let's speak to the issue of youth unemployment. It's a, it's a massive problem in South Africa. Now, how can we stimulate growth of various sectors um, to, to start creating more jobs, especially for the youth? Um, the, 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 the real problem around the youth is that when we look at the, the population, we realize that of the working age population, which is 15 to 64, there's about uh, 55% that is represented by youth in unemployment. And that also calls for the understanding that there is a good number of the young people in the country that have been out of employment, but the unfortunate part about them has been their inability to acquire education to an extent that for every five young persons who were not in employment, education, or training, uh, you, you, you have three of them that have education that is below metric. So if 60% of them do not have a metric, already they are marginalized and would not be able to make it into what we call the labor, the labor force or into employment. Therefore, I am sure interventions around creating or opportunities for them to come up with things that can be able to sustain their lives even when they are uneducated is one of the areas that government should be able to take cognizance of. Now, Akifila, just speaking to that issue as well, um, definitely the, f- the, the, the uh, hashtag fees must fall campaign sort of comes into play with uh, um, students demanding free education. Will this definitely assist with regards to the statistics of uh, unemployed youth or will it sort of uh, be send a, a rise to unemployment with, within, with the youth because as we speak, there are thousands of children who are qualified but are unemployed. Of importance, again, is, is to understand that the challenge that the country is facing is a group of young people, about 1.8 million of them, who have a qualification below metric and are already in the labor force, which means they are already trying to look for jobs, but because of their educational attainment, them getting employed become slimmer and slimmer as they grow up. This fits into the information that adds to the urgent need to understand the reason are not progressing in education 
in what needs to be done and the issue around fees to understand. Just looking at, uh, just after that, um, how many, if you're able to sort of decipher, uh, decipher plus minus um, the number of children or a number of youth who are qualified and educated but are unemployed? We, we, we have about 5% of them at the moment that have what we call tertiary um, qualifications that are not employed number because you're talking about 187 to 130,000 of them. Not a big number. It is not important. And who have acquired metric, which is about 1 million and 50 that have not acquired above metric. Kefile, thank you so much for joining us. You are welcome. That was Gifilu Masiteng, Deputy Director General of Population and Social Statistics at Statistics South Africa. Africa, rise and shine. The prestigious and growing South African Literary Awards celebrate their 10th anniversary this year with an action-packed two-day program of exciting African literature, music, dance and art live show and expo on the 6th and 7th November at the Twane Event Centre, Pretoria, South Africa. Prof. Michelle Mugel, world-renowned activist, academic and author, will deliver the fourth International African Writers' Day Lecture. Thank you, Casco. Thank you, Casco. Thank you, Casco. You Thank you. Join Channel Africa as we broadcast live from the event, bringing you all the speeches and artists such as Kyorapeti, Khosizile, Menyato Matole, Molefepeto, Ariel Zamonski, Bernice Bigano, Gloria Bosman, Femi Goya, Lififitadi, Pitikantuli, and more. For more information, visit www.sala.org.za. Taura Africa, Bua Africa. Proudly brought to you by the Right Associates, the South African Department of Arts and Culture and Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. It's 8.31 and our headlines up next with Anne Musa. A very good morning to you. Cote d'Ivoire's incumbent President Alassane Ouattara has won a second five-year term in office. Congolese opposition leaders call for a civil disobedience campaign to pressure government into retracting a planned constitutional amendment. 
and three hostages seized in the Central African Republic's capital, Bangui, have been killed, with another three seized later by another group killed as well in retaliation. Those are the stories making headlines. Thank you. And a new report by Human Rights Watch says the government of the Democratic Republic of Congo should increase protection for students and schools in the areas of the country affected by armed conflict. The 58-page report documents how armed groups have attacked schools and recruited children at school or while on their way to school. To find out more on this, Jose Rodinake spoke to Bede Shepard, Deputy Director in the Children's Rights Division at Human Rights Watch and co-author of the report. So this report is actually based on interviews with more than 120 people that Myself and others at Human Rights Watch have been carrying out uh, over the last few years. We've been talking to students, we've been talking to parents, we've been talking to teachers to document the kinds of problems that students have faced with going to school in the Eastern DRC. Tell us about the Safe Schools Declaration, because I see here where you are saying that, you know, the government should endorse and carry out the International Safe Schools Declaration. What is it all about? So the Safe Schools Declaration is a a political commitment that was drafted by a number of countries earlier this year, and it was open for countries to join in May. South Africa was actually the very first country in the world to join the Safe Schools Declaration. And to date, 49 countries have joined it, but not the Democratic Republic of Congo. What the Safe Schools Declaration does is it lists a number of very concrete measures that countries can take if they want to ensure that schools are safer for students and for teachers, even during times of armed conflict. And one of those commitments, which I think is really important for the DRC to consider, is that they ask military forces to re-examine their own military doctrines, their own practices, the training that they give their soldiers, to see if they could be improved to make it that their soldiers will refrain from taking over schools and using them for military purposes. So to try and prepare and train their soldiers so that they won't go into a school and convert it into something like a, a military base or a military barracks. But is there any reason that the DRC has not yet joined this declaration? Well, we're hoping that they're going to be open to uh, joining the Safe Schools Declaration as soon as possible. And I hope that they do so after they've taken the time to look over the findings of our report and realize that you know when armed forces take over school and convert it into a military barracks or a military base, it really puts that school in danger of being attacked, and it also precludes the students who go to that school from being able to go to school and get a good education. Now, you talk about using these schools for child recruitment and military purposes. This seems to be happening particularly in the Eastern Democratic Republic of Congo. You also have mentioned that it's, you know, the army, the soldiers that are doing this. Is it only them or are there other, because there are lots of rebel groups in that area. Are rebel groups also doing the recruiting of children? Yeah, our report shows that armed groups in Eastern DRC have been involved in recruiting children to join their armed groups from schools or while students are on their way to or from schools. And we've documented in the report that both the Congolese Army and various 
of these uh, armed groups that are operating in the East have also been converting schools into military bases. So if those people that are responsible for recruiting those children from schools are also army officers and group commanders, how can they be deterred by government since they are part of government and in all probability the government of DR Congo encourages this or maybe perhaps just even turns a blind eye? Well, if, if, if uh, soldiers within the armed forces are involved in recruiting children, then it's incumbent upon the government to ensure that there are investigations against those individual officers and credible prosecutions carried out. When it comes to the issue of protecting schools from being used by the Congolese army, I think that's then a responsibility for both the government, the civilian government, and the armed forces to look at their own practices, to understand why it is that they're not better prepared to use other possibilities to avoid having to take over schools to use it as, as a base. And I think that's something that the army can do, particularly when they take into consideration the devastating impact of this practice of using schools as bases is really having children's safety and on their own citizens' ability to get a good education. Exactly. So if these children can't access school, what will become of their future, let alone the future of the country generally, if a large part of the youth population is not getting educated because they are afraid to go into schools to study because they might get recruited into the army. Yeah, exactly. It is really hard to think about how there can be peace, stability, and development in the Eastern DRC unless all students are able to go to schools safely and to develop the skills necessary to have strong, productive lives. And when did these attacks on schools and their use for military purposes begin? Is it something that is just starting now or has it been going on for a relatively long time? I think the problem with kids being recruited to join the armed groups and schools being used has been going on for a number of years. It's it's a common problem in armed armed conflicts actually all around the world. But this has been something that countries in the last few years have really begun to take notice of and to start trying to develop concrete solutions to end this practice. And I think that's why you've seen the Safe Schools Declaration emerge this year. And we look forward to more countries around the world joining uh, the Safe Schools Declaration and hopefully ending this practice in conflicts around the world. And finally, if this situation has been going on for so long, what are the possibilities that this situation can be corrected or remedied in some way? Is there hope for these children? I think there really is hope. And I think we've seen in a number of other conflicts around the world that when militaries have started to pay attention to the negative consequences that this practice of converting schools into military bases is actually having student safety on student ability to get a good education or simply their reputation in local communities. And that was Bede Shepard from Human Rights Watch speaking to Jose Jodinake on the line from Barcelona in Spain. Africa, rise and shine. South Africa's President Jacob Zuma has described the late former ANC President Oliver Tambo as an extraordinary leader who did not abuse his position and influence for personal gain. The President was speaking after laying a wreath on the graves of Tambo and his wife Adelaide at Tamboville Memorial Cemetery yesterday. The cemetery has been declared a national heritage site and every year his friends and comrades gather to pay homage. 
Tambo was the ANC's longest-serving president but died in 1993, a year before the dawn of democracy. Tepo Ikaneng reports. Dozens of people broke into liberation songs to pay tribute to Oliver Reginald Tambo. Tambo, who lived most of his life in exile, mobilized international support for the isolation of the apartheid regime and is credited with helping the ANC unite when it faced deep divisions. He also coordinated the activities of the ANC's armed wing, Umkonto Esizwe. One of the ANC's military veterans, 73-year-old retired Brigadier General Tamsanyam Kapai, has fond memories of the men. Uh, I met Oliver Tambo in, in Dar es Salaam in 1963 when we were preparing to go to Algeria. Later I became uh, Oliver Tambo's driver. I was one of the drivers. Actually a humble person who could come to a cater and tie his shoelaces. You could come angry from whatever that has annoyed you, but you would never reply in anger. You would be cool and bring you down. He had no place for tribalism. He liked education because he was a former teacher. He liked music. He would conduct a choir. President Zuma, who worked closely with Tambo in exile, described him as a father and a leader with high moral authority. He was the leader in the position to which he was put because he was put by the ANC. He never campaigned for it. He never put himself as a leader. It is not what you portray yourself to be. It is what the organization sees you to be. That was O.R. Tambo, a unique man. The president also stressed that the commemoration of Oliver Tambo's death should also be used to celebrate the legacy of his wife, Adelaide. She died in 2007, aged 77. President Zuma says Adelaide Tambo played a pivotal role in providing support for young exile activists during the anti-apartheid struggle. She carried the family of her own, the Tambos, but the entire family of the NC. So when we are here remembering our leader, we are also remembering her equally of the contributions she made in the ANC Women's League as one of the prominent leaders, but as well as a woman of this country. We remember her and remember our struggle. You cannot think about our struggle without remembering her, in particular if you talk about the challenges that face our women in the world and in this country in particular. A series of events have been organized across the country to celebrate the life and times of Uar Tambo. Tsepo Ikaneng, Watville, Binoni. Africa is hoping to tap into Indian expertise in the information, communication, technology and motoring sectors to bolster its own markets. Over 50 African heads of state are expected to attend the third India-Africa summit in New Delhi on Thursday. Debo Mukobo has more. Welcome to New Delhi, India's capital. The streets have been lined up with flags of countries and faces of over 50 African heads of state expected to attend the summit. 
The Inti-Africa Summit started in 2008 and has grown in size. It is now dubbed as one of the biggest get-together of African leaders outside the continent. Their signs are hard to miss and have locals talking. India has a good relationship with Africa. India has been a good partner uh, of uh, South Africa. If you talk about culture, if you talk about tradition, if you talk about custom, I mean, we do have, you know, sort of customs which match with each other's country. So if we keep this relationship with each other, that would be a sort of a lesson or an example for other countries as well. I mean, the relationship between both these countries could be better if there would be more political interventions. If both the governments could talk to each other regarding setting up more employment opportunities. Indians are known for their ICT prowess. And in almost every street of New Delhi, there is an internet cafe. And African leaders attending the summit want to tap into this expertise to bridge the digital divide back home. India has made inroads in the African auto market providing cheaper vehicles. Their top manufacturers Tata and Mahindra now household names. International Relations Minister Maite Mkwanamashabane says Africa stands to benefit a lot from this gathering. You know ICT is a knowledge-based economy. When we say we want to beneficiate the raw material from South Africa, it starts with the cell phone. But you need to work on skilling your people. We want industrialization that will be skills-based. So we would encourage many of the Indian companies to focus on the skills-based and also the, the partnerships. Both India and Africa have a shared history of fighting colonialism. But in democracy, they are both plagued by poverty, unemployment and inequality. This have seen the two continents forge closer ties on the international stage. On the diplomatic front, they are both members of IPSA and BRICS, all pushing for the transformation of multilateral institutions. Minister Mkwana Mashabane says their historic relations have to translate into improved living conditions of their citizens. There are values and principles that are enduring that we share. And that's why we also have IPSA, three big democracies in three different continents. But to strengthen that further, our people cannot eat history and democracy. They want bread on the table. So our focus on this third Africa-India summit would be the dynamism, the reinvigoration of our economic ties in line with Agenda 2063 of the African Union. President Jacob Zuma will join other African heads of state for the 13th Africa Summit on Thursday. I am Tebu Mokobo for New Delhi in India. Our economics updates up next with Tabiso Lehoko. Thanks, Lulu. It's becoming much easier to do business in Sub-Saharan Africa. That's according to the World Bank's newly released report. It shows that Sub-Saharan economies have quickened their pace of doing business in the last few years. The region also boasts or rather boosts half of the world's top 10 most improved economies. South Africa's business environment is among the best in sub-Saharan Africa. David Bridgman is the bank's practice manager for Africa. In fact, Africa is the second fastest reforming region of the world. Governments in sub-Saharan Africa are becoming much more business friendly. And if we look at the overall indicators over time, the, the average in sub-Saharan Africa compared to the average, say, in OECD countries, it's got a lot closer, like 25% closer. 
Meanwhile, the report says South Africa remains one of the top-ranked economies in sub-Saharan Africa, along with Botswana, Mauritius and Rwanda. It shows that South Africa is also among one of the top performers in paying taxes and protecting minority investors. South Africa has performed well in resolving insolvency and credit, but despite this, the country is ranked number 73 globally. MRA's decline of over the recall calculated 2015 ranking of 69. David Bridgman again. What happens is South Africa has not been reforming very fast. Other countries are reforming faster and they pass them. So while South Africa has actually improved, other countries have improved even more than that. For example, now Botswana does better than South Africa on this ranking. Mozambique's economy is expected to grow by around 7% next year, a slowdown from a projected 7.5% this year. The Bank of Mozambique says inflation is likely to increase above 5% next year without giving a specific figure. The South African pork producers says it is still analyzing the report that the World Health Organization has issued linking red and processed meat to cancer. On Monday... The WHO's research wing, the International Agency for Research in Cancer, said the consumption of red meat and some processed meat caused colon, pancreatic and prostate cancer in human beings. Meanwhile, the Australian government has described the link to cancer as a farce. Hmm. Financial indicators at this hour, the US dollar trades. At 13.66 in South Africa, 10.37 in Botswana, 12.11 in Zambia, 0.65 to the British pound, 0.90 to the euro, gold $1166, platinum $989 an ounce, brand crude oil $46.58 a barrel. For Channel Africa's economic update on Africa Rise and Shine, my name is Tabiso Lohoku. Thank you, Tabi. So our sports update up next with Figile Lingwati. In a sports update this hour, kicking off with football news and FIFA news. Former Nigeria international Segun Mathematical Odegbami says his attempt to become the next FIFA president is now history. The former chairman of the National Institute of Sport was Nigerian candidate for the World Football's governing body presidential election, but his name was conspicuously missing on the cutoff date. A member of the Nigerian Super Eagles Technical Committee, Anderson Ogugwa, explains the dynamics behind Odegbami's failure to secure support from the Nigeria Football Federation, the NFF. Someone like Sergio Odegbami, a person of caliber who has worked in football, played football for the national team of Nigeria, won trophies for uh, the Super Eagles of Nigeria. I mean, if you recall the 1980 Nations Cup triumph for Odegbami, uh, Mathematical led um, that squad to victory in Lagos. So definitely he could have at least uh, one of the 
candidates that will be shortlisted for the election. But after all, the election was open to individuals who met the requirements. We know clearly that someone like Tokyo Sikwale had actually also signified his intention to also run for the election. So, Shekwa Debani, meeting the conditions which he, of course, would have pre-known, would have been supported by the Nigerian football family. He's someone who, well, to me, I'm not surprised because Shekwa Debani from Family Memorial has been contesting to be the Football Federation President of Nigeria and has never gotten the opportunity to lead the body. A disappointed Ogdegbami is calling on the federal government of Nigeria to launch an inquiry into the circumstances surrounding the whole episode. I don't know how much the inquiry would help his cause. The deed that has been done and uh, those who have been selected have been selected. So... If he was not chosen, then that means the NFS had gone with their choice of the candidate they would be fit to contest for the position. So an inquiry, him calling the government, feeling agreed, that's expected. I mean, any individual who's looking to be in a certain position and ends up let down by his own people will feel the same way. But having said that, I think... Asking the government to call for an inquiry might be taking it far. I don't know if the present government of Nigeria is interested in doing that kind of uh, investigation at the moment when they are grappling with economic situations in the country. But I don't know how much his appeal would um, um, hit the ear of um, the powers that be. And four days after eliminating South Africa's Mpumalanga Black Aces from the Telkom knockout, Kaiser Chiefs handed Aces their first defeat in the Absa Premiership, beating them by one goal to nil at FNB Stadium in Johannesburg on Tuesday night. This was Chiefs' first win in the league after three draws and having last won against Super Sports United on the 12th of last month. Despite the victory, head coach Steve Kombela is a concerned man with his side's lackluster second-half performance. Maybe a consolation based on the second half would be that we won the match, which is more important. And nobody's going to remember the bad second half. Uh, On the log, it's going to add three points. But one has to make a small confession in the sense that the two matches against Mpumalanga Black Aces have not been easy. One, I don't know how many systems we went through. Maybe I should ask my counterpart here whether it was from 3-4-3, 3-5-2, 4-4-2. They had just been crazy approaches. Today was not different, but what is more important for us is a we. The three points we took and we'll go home. There's quite a lot that we went through and we're happy to have gone through these two legs. And a visibly relieved Super Sports United coach Gordon Eggerson says things went according to plan for his team as they registered their second win of the season. Finally, with hockey news, the South Africa men's and women's teams continued their winning ways with back-to-back victories in the Greenfield Africa Hockey Championships at Randberg Hockey Stadium on Tuesday. In the early game, the South African women beat Zimbabwe 6-0 while South Africa's men beat Ghana 4-0. The South Africa-Ghana clash had huge implications as the winners were likely to come top of Pool A and in so doing avoid impressive Pool B frontrunners Egypt in Saturday's afternoon's semi-final. That's the Sport News this hour. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, full
Africa Amuka na Unai. Recapping our top stories on Africa Rise and Shine at this hour, Tanzania's ruling party extends its lead as vote counting continues. DRC government urged to increase protection for students and BRICS University Summit gets underway in Moscow. That wraps up Africa Rise and Shine today. From myself, Lulu Gabu, producers Pumut Ramagadze and Jane Matabula, technical producer Mario Edwards and the rest of the team, thank you for joining us. For comments about our show, send us an email at info at channelafrica.co.za or tweet us at Rise Shine Africa or send an SMS on 277-969-57930. Taking us to the top of the hour for the news on the frequency 9625 kHz on the 31-meter band to Southern Africa is Bongo Muffin with a song titled Makeba. It's so what it is, my 
Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance, broadcasting to you from Johannesburg in South Africa. We are on the frequency 9625 kHz on the 31-meter band to Southern Africa. First, let's cross over to the news desk for the latest news from Africa and abroad. In the headlines, Cote d'Ivoire's Alassane Ouattara wins a second term in office. Congo Republic's opposition calls for a disobedience campaign to pressure government into retracting constitutional amendments. And senior rebel members abducted in the Central African Republic's capital, Bangui, have been killed. A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Musa. Cote d'Ivoire's incumbent President Alassane Ouattara has won a second five-year term in office. The Electoral Commission says Ouattara garnered 83% of the vote. Opposition candidate Pascal Afingesan got 9%. The vote was judged to be peaceful and transparent by observers. The presidential vote was the first since the 2010 contest in which Watara defeated then-President Lohong Bagbo, whose refusal to step aside sparked months of violence that killed thousands of people. Congolese opposition leaders have called for a civil disobedience campaign to pressure the Congo Republic government into retracting a planned constitutional amendment. The change will enable President Denis Sassou to extend his three-decade rule. The government announced that a landslide 92.96% of people approved changes to the constitution, allowing Sassou to run for a third term next year. It also said that turnout stood at 72.44%, despite opposition calls for a boycott and that the amendments being enacted. With Tanzania's Electoral Commission just days away from declaring a winner in the presidential elections, the country's constitution and electoral laws have come under scrutiny. African observer groups say Sunday's elections were largely free, fair and credible. Ruling party candidate John Makafuli is leading in a tight race against opposition coalition candidates.